what Jesus has done for us. The scripture reading this morning comes to us from Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, and to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am always with you to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Doug. Well, as we come to our text this morning, obviously this morning we are going to talk about making disciples. And as we consider the conversation about making disciples, I just want to state again, that is foundational for us as a church. So this passage is the foundation for why we're gathering. Jesus has called us to make disciples. And as we make disciples, we've been in this series, this series called Committed, because we want to make disciples that are committed to Christ, their lives fully surrendered to Jesus. We want to make disciples that are committed to Christ's church, because Jesus is building his church, and we might want to be committed to Christ's mission. So that's what we're going to be talking about over the next three weeks as we finish out this series, Committed. We're going to be talking about Christ's mission, and the first place we start when talking about Christ's mission is making disciples. Now, I know when I even say making disciples or we read this passage, immediately you can feel a a bit of uh, guilt and shame. Does anyone else like, I don't know that I'm doing that. Or when I read it, I know I should be doing that, but I feel a little bit like I fail in that area. If you're like me, that's what it can feel like. There's kind of this, even this mysterious thing about making disciples, like, oh, Making disciples, that sounds like a good thing, but I don't, I don't even know what that looks like. Well, as we talk about making disciples, it's simply this. We're seeking to help those who have surrendered their lives to Christ to grow in their relationship with Christ, to help one another to build our lives around Christ to build our lives around what Christ commanded, to build our lives around the church that he's established and he's building that he's the head of. So making disciples is is walking with one another to, to help us build our lives around Jesus. But the place where the passage begins isn't go. That's the first place we often can be like, go, I need to go and do something. And we're going to talk about that. But look back at your Bibles, at where the passage begins. Look back at verse 16. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, remember at the place that we're at in the gospel, Jesus has lived a perfect life and he went to the cross. They saw him on the cross give his life to pay the penalty for their sins. They, they actually ran. Many fleed when Jesus went to the cross because they thought their lives were in danger. They knew they didn't want to be associated with him. They had rejected him, and they had seen the empty tomb. 
Some of them had actually seen the empty tomb. Jesus had risen from the dead. He had spent some time with them after raising from the dead. They had seen his hands. They had seen the the scars from hanging on the cross. And so they're gathering to be with Jesus. They don't know what's about to happen. They don't know he's about to ascend to be at God's right hand. He's assembled them. And what is their response? Their response is one of worship. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. So before we talk about going to make disciples, we need to start with worship. That's why we start with worship in our corporate gatherings as we gather together because we, we need to redirect our gaze to the reason that we do go, to be, have our affections set on Christ. We need to respond to the gospel by worshiping. The first step in worship, the first step is to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus. We talked about that earlier in the series. Jesus had gone to the cross, he had paid the penalty for sin, and he had had won victory over death. And so the good news is that you can have a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done And the first act of worship is surrendering your life to him. So if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, I'd encourage you to do that today. I'd love to talk with you after the service if you haven't done that, because that's what had happened with these disciples, they had surrendered their life to Jesus and they were worshiping. But here's something interesting that you see in the passage. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Do you feel like that describes you sometimes? So it in this passage, we're, we're pretty certain there were others that were around at that time other than the 11, but it's talking about the 11. These are those who walked with Jesus. They walked with him. They ate with him. They saw the empty tomb. They saw the scars on his hands as he taught them after he had risen from the dead. And they doubted. They struggled. So if you're someone who struggles, you're in good company. You're in good company. Because Jesus didn't call the perfect ones to do the Great Commission. Jesus didn't call the ones that had the greatest faith that could just move mountains and do crazy things for Jesus. He, he called those who were worshiping and those who doubt it. So I want to encourage you to find yourself in this text. This isn't just them back then that he was calling to go. He was calling all of those who have responded to him to go. And this is what he says to them. Before he says go, look back at your Bibles. Look what it says here. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If you're wondering about the nuance in the original language, all means all. Everything, complete. Nothing outside of the bounds of authority. And when we read all authority, it 
doesn't mean just power. Like we can say, oh, he's got authority. He can, he can do stuff. It doesn't mean just that he has power. He has the right to use that power. We see it in his life. We see the authority that he had in his teaching. Those who heard him teaching saw something different when Jesus taught. They felt something burning in their hearts when Jesus taught. He exercised authority over disease by healing those. He exercised authority over demons by casting out demons. In fact, demons were like, hey, uh, just send us somewhere. They realized when they were in Jesus' presence, they were shaking in their boots because of his authority. Think about the authority he had over creation. Winds and waves tossing, he speaks, it's calm. He doesn't just have the power, he has the authority to exercise that power. He had authority over Satan. In fact, he defeated Satan. He had authority and carried out that authority to overcome our ultimate enemy, which is death. Because he made a payment for our sin. Thus completely obliterating the effects of death. Because we don't face judgment, we face blessing because of what Christ has done. So he defeated all enemies and then he said, all authority has been given to me. Do you believe that? Do, do you believe that? Brothers and sisters, do you believe that Jesus has all authority? So, what those disciples were experiencing, as he said, he has all authority. Right away, they were like, yep. Catalog going back. Yep, I remember when he calmed seas. I remember when he spoke and healing happened. I, I remember when our friend cut the ear off of some guy in the midst of his zeal and Jesus just picked it back up. He put the ear on and then he walked to his death. No one was going to control him, but yet he was completely submitted to the Father's will. Jesus has all authority. So we need not fear as we respond to this commission that he's given to us. Be aware your Savior has all authority. You've been around people who have authority. They can get places and do things. I had a friend who worked for a NFL organization. He was a mere carpenter. But the carpenter fixed stuff so he could get anywhere in that stadium he wanted to go. And if I wanted to go into that stadium, some large individuals would keep me from even going through the gate. But if I was with him, I could go to the boiler room if I wanted to go. Why? Because he had authority. How much more does your Savior have in every situation, in every circumstance, in every neighborhood, in every country you might go to? He has all authority. So he wants that to be clear before we look at what he asks us to do. We're surrendered to the one who has all authority. We want to worship the one who has all authority. 
But then he calls us to conform our lives to his commands. Look back at the text. Very familiar. If you've been around church circles or even not, you've, you've heard this. Look at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's the simple command, which feels so not simple, right? That is a tall order. Okay, make disciples. Like Jesus said a lot of things. I mean, gosh, the book of Matthew is filled with all all kinds of commands. Even if you just do chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know about you, by verse 10, I'm like, yeah, I suck. I just don't get it done. You, you feel that. You're like, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to help others do that. You, you can feel that. But remember the one who gave the authority. The one who makes the command has the authority. And as we're going to learn, he's also the one that's going to be with you in the midst of it. Well, we'll just hold on to that for just a minute. So as he calls you to do this big thing, we need to understand this, this isn't some mysterious thing where we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. When he says go, we often read it like, hey, get up off your butts and go do something really hard. Do you feel that? Like when you read it? No, really what the flavor in the original language is while you're going, in the midst of you living your life, while you are going, make disciples. The expectation is, He's speaking to those who've encountered him that have realized their sins are forgiven, their lives have been transformed, and he knows they're not going to be able to keep that to themselves because their lives have have changed. So while you're going, do this. In the midst of daily life, go do this. So as we are going to make disciples, it's in the midst of just the normal parts of life, the interactions that we have. The making of disciples is adhering to following the teachings of someone. And obviously we are talking about following the teachings of Jesus, the risen Savior. So I want to kind of demystify this like disciple making. Like it's something that we can't do. It's something only the special people that have been to seminary. They're the ones that are equipped to make disciples. Do you ever feel like, yeah, I'm just not equipped to do it. Let me just just pause right there. Remember the people he's talking to. A couple smelly fishermen and their brothers. Tax collector that everybody hated. One of them even doubted. He needed to see Jesus' hands because he was doubting that Jesus had risen from the dead. Not the who's who of the dream team that you put together to reach the world, right? Now, those are the people that he wants to to use then, and you are the people that he wants to use now. In the midst of daily life, making disciples, teaching all that Jesus commanded is in the normal parts of life. It's as we gather together, we're talking about Christ. Sometimes that'll be more formal, Right? Like we gather on Sundays and you have the scriptures opened. 
There might be a class that is taught. There might be some formal things. We've got some things on the calendar in the, the next three to six months where just we want to help equip you to, to walk with Jesus, to grow more fruitfully, to apply the commands that Jesus has in his life. So there's those, those formal contexts that we have. Some that are maybe a little less formal are small groups in which we gather, but discipleship happens there. This discipleship doesn't just happen from the small group leader. Okay, yeah, it does in part because they're believers and they're called to make disciples. But when you go to small group, don't think, oh, well, that's my small group leader's job. I just make the brownies. No, you are gifted. We've talked about that already. Everyone has gifts, right? We're called to use those gifts and to strengthen one another and point people to Jesus. So, you know, something that you've read in the scriptures recently, you're going to share about God's faithfulness. Those are the things that we do as we are making disciples. The things that God taught you early on. Maybe you've walked with Jesus for decades. God wants to use you in the lives of those in our church that haven't walked with Jesus for decades. I have a heart for disciple making because as a new Christian, I had godly men who saw what I could be, not what I was. Because certainly if you saw what I was like, you know, a little squirrely, had lots of opinions, and was very immature in my walk with Jesus. But they read the Bible with me. They answered questions. They were patient with me. Discipleship sometimes is saying those hard things where you come to someone and go, hey, I've, I've noticed this this about you. I just want to ask some questions about it. Let me, let me bring some scripture to bear. Sometimes it's in the midst of hard things when you don't know what to do. You come and you just turn to God's word and point people to Christ. I love you all because I see this happening in our midst. I learn about folks that were discouraged and you ministered to them. I've experienced that care. When I'm discouraged, scriptures are shared. You help me to conform my life to Christ. So we want to go as we're going. We don't want to be just a culture that says just just come and do the, the thing. Certainly, we do ask people to come here, but the reason that people come is because we go, because we're living in the community. We're engaging with people. We're sharing Christ with them. We want them to surrender to Christ so that they worship. But, of, but the Great Commission isn't just about evangelism. It's not less than that. Certainly, we will talk about sharing Christ as we fulfill his mission. We'll talk about that more even next week. But we want to be intentional to go to help others to grow. Are you helping others to grow? Or are you making excuses why that's not happening? Are you thinking about helping others to grow? And I'm not saying that you approach your relationships like, hey, I've got it all together. And the people have things to learn from me. So I will have to share those things. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you, you have encountered Christ. Bring people to the bread of life. Bring people to the one that can, only, that can satisfy the thirst that they have. That's what we're doing simply as we're making disciples. You're an ambassador for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. God wants to use you to make his appeal. 
Do you find that hard to believe? I mean, it's, it's okay to be like, uh, yeah. As, are you sure about that? I understand why he wants to use my brother in Christ over here or why he wants to use my sister because they're super mature and, and they really know the Bible. But I, I think that really applies to them. I'm just, I'm just along for the ride. No, again, remember, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to you. He's talking to me as we come. We want to think outside of ourselves. We want to stir one another up. We're conforming our lives to the commands of Christ to make disciples. And it says here, we want to baptize them. Look, it says baptize them. So I know we can, you can read that like, okay, that's just a little add on there. Just baptism. We have to remember that in this day and age in which this truth was communicated, baptism meant that you were publicly making a declaration setting you apart. I have a picture of us, of a baptism that's happened in the Middle East. Okay, their faces are wiped out because for security reasons, uh, they're doing it in a secret place, right? Uh, baptism, kind of like our baptismal, right? Maybe we don't have quite as many pictures in our baptismal as they did. But they're getting baptized. Why are they doing it in this place? Because when they get baptized, a target goes on their back. A target goes on their back because they are saying, I belong to Jesus. I'm surrendered to him. So yeah, when we, we get baptized, it's an act of obedience, but it's also a declaration. Even the process of baptism, when you think about it, when we, when we bring, put someone in the water and take them out of the water, it's symbolic of something. It's symbolic of our old life, being dead to our old life, like being buried. So when someone goes in, uh, we bring them back up, right? We don't leave them in there, but, but it's, it's symbolic of, of a death that we have ex experienced, the death to our old self. And then when we raise folks up, they're raised to walk in newness of life. It's significant. It's a new life in Christ. I mean, that also is experiencing in, in a tangible way being washed. When we go into the water and come out of the water, that our sins are washed away. Now, our sins are washed away. When we repent and believe in him, our sins are forgiven. The act of baptism isn't the thing that, that causes our sins to be forgiven, but it certainly is a declaration. There's so many things going on when we do baptism. That's why when we baptize someone, we all jump up and down and we cheer and we clap because it's huge. Someone has surrendered their life to Christ. So when we read baptism, it's more than just that act. It's calling folks to completely give their lives to Christ. If you haven't given your life to Christ, I'd encourage you to consider what Christ has done. Consider who Jesus is. Don't think about the rules. Don't think about that church is just about rules and all this other stuff. No, consider Christ. Everything else makes sense when you come and surrender to Christ. But then it says, teach them to, you know, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So again, that, that's practical in our daily lives. What does this look like? When you're talking with someone, 
hey, this is how I met Jesus. Or, hey, I've noticed this about you, that maybe you're struggling. I have a, a truth to share with you. Or, or it could be just going, you know, hey, you want to read the Bible together? Let's just pick a book of the Bible and read it through together. What is God saying to you? What is God speaking to you? How is God challenging you? Because we want to do this. We want to conform our lives around this. Because these words give life. Why would we want to read the Bible together? Because God's word, this, this word pierces us. It pierces our soul and our spirit. In the Hebrews, like it just completely, you know, fillets us open because God's word speaks right to the real things in your life. Not the horizontal things, the heart level things that then bear fruit in your life. And it's God's goodness to us because he's, he's designed this world to work a certain way. And he brings conviction through his word. And we grow when we engage with his word, when we engage with his word with others. Now, sometimes I have to confess that I don't want to read the Bible with people because I know I'm going to get convicted. Have you ever done that? Like, I don't, you know, if I, if I read it, I know they need to do it and I know I should do it, but I don't want to do it because I don't want conviction to come. We need to resist that temptation. That's not the spirit of God talking to you. That's another one. It could be your flesh. Like, let's engage with one another, with his word. Because Jesus has commanded us to do it. We are walking in obedience when we're doing simple things like engaging with his word. Or simply having the conversation when you're hanging together. You know, good brother in our church was like, oh, I just want to hang out together. Let's, let's do life together because he gets it. He gets it in the context of life. Things come up and we grow and we're discipled. I've learned about parenting my kids by watching others. Other people have learned about parenting their kids by watching us because they know what not to do. Come to my house. Interact with my kids. You want to learn about the mistakes I've made in parenting? You feel free to have a conversation with them anytime you want. They have the freedom to share the mistakes that we've made and to learn about the things that we have learned by God's grace. So it's sometimes in living life together. You want to be strengthened. If you're, if you're single here and you're like, I want to be strengthened. I don't, I don't get how this works. Here's, here's the reality. In the church here, Everyone at one time in this room was single, believe it or not. They, they know what that's like. And everyone in eternity is going to be single. So if you need some help, you want to grow, um, this is more important than maybe their season of life. Let's just walk together. Like this isn't like for just married people or just single people or people in this season of life or that season of life, we can walk together. I can tell you this, I have grown in my walk with Jesus. I have, I've been helped to, to be conformed to the image of his son uh, because some godly single people in my life have challenged me in my marriage. Why? Because they had this. 
I've had people who didn't have children help me with with parenting because they had this. Because they could address my heart. So we, we all are equipped because we have been given his word to walk with one another, to encourage one another, to challenge one another. So we're to conform our lives to the commands of Christ. Friends, remember, you know, one author said this. So remember the gospel spread to the known world during the first century without radio, without television, without the printing press. The gospel spread without any of those things. Can you believe people learn stuff without social media? Because the writings of the apostles, the writing of the gospels, produced men and women who reproduced themselves. It's his word. It's responding to the power of the message of the gospel. That's what helps us to make disciples. Because the Great Commission is great. It's a big deal and it feels hard. I feel it whenever I talk about it. This message is so simple and so hard. I feel ill-equipped. I know you can feel ill-equipped. And it is an impossible task apart from Jesus because even in him sharing this great commission, he leaves us with these words. Look back at your Bibles. These are words worthy of memorizing. Jesus said this, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm going to say it again. I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you believe it? Do you believe what Jesus has said? I am with you always to the end of the age. Are you reminding others about that truth? You can get some serious mileage about with, with those words. If you're going to small group and going, I don't have anything to share, okay? You can't say that anymore. You can't say that anymore. You know that statement has got some mileage. Hey, did you know Jesus is with you in the midst of this? you might not have experienced the pain that they're walking through. You may never experience what they're walking through. But how sweet are the words, Jesus is with you always. I know Dr. G. Campbell Morgan told a story about sharing this verse. He had done kind of a Bible study with different people in the church in his church, and he was reading the Bible with some ladies in his church, and he gets 
to this section and he reads, Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And he was young at the time and he said, he said, isn't that a wonderful promise? And the ladies quickly replied. I can just imagine they were probably older ladies in the church that were attentive, that had been women of prayer probably, and they corrected this young preacher. They were like, young man, that is not a promise. That is a fact. That is a fact. You get the difference? A promise is something that's going to happen, that we have a hope that it's going to happen. This is happening right now. I am with you always to the end of the age. It's happening right now. If you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has said, I am with you always till the end of the age. That means no matter if Jesus comes back tomorrow or if you take your last breath before he returns, he's going to be with you always. When others fail you, he will not fail you. When others don't show up, he's going to show up. When others cause pain, he brings healing. When others reject you, he embraces you. When others put weights upon you, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We need to embrace this as we consider this great commission that he's called us to. We are not alone. The greatest asset you have isn't that you come to a local church that values the great commission. The greatest asset you have isn't that you have brothers and sisters in Christ who are wonderfully encouraging and love to fellowship with. You love to be with them. No, the greatest asset you have is the thing that you can count on beyond anything else. If you need to be certain about one thing in your life, Jesus said, I am with you always. In the midst of the darkness, I'm with you always. He sees it like it's, it's day. Read Psalm 139. Darkness is not dark to him. For night is as bright as the day. So if you're in the midst of your darkness, no, it's not dark to him. And he's with you in the midst of it. Had a friend who told a story about friend he had who had seizures sometimes and he would fall to the floor writhing and he'd say how do you deal with that and his friend said you know I know he goes with me to the floor he's with me that's how I deal with that even when you don't have control of anything in your life I am with you always let us commit to remind one another of that truth. Even in the midst of our desire to conform our lives to Christ, we're going to fail in our attempts. We're going to struggle in our attempts. We're going to grow in our attempts and see fruitfulness and press in. But no, he is with us always to the end of the age. Even Paul experienced this when he went to Corinth and he went and he shared Christ and people got saved and he baptized them and he taught them, but he even got discouraged. He had to hear the words, be not afraid for I am with you. You need to hear these words. He is with you. 
It's more certain than anything in your life. When others leave, he stays. But let's also look to the end of the age. Because it says in the book of Daniel what the end of the age is going to look like. In Daniel 7, it says this, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom that we get to live in when when all the problems are gone. So we are awaiting the end of the age, but we have work to do because we're not there yet. And until we get there, we're called to make disciples. He wants you to be a part of his work. He's calling each of you to be a part of his work. That doesn't mean that each of you are going to be actively uh, engaging in the intimate life of 20 people in our church. It may just be one. I get it. Some of you have little kids running around and you're like, you want me to do what? Hey, you're making disciples. You're making disciples by living your life before them as they run around. You can make disciples at the park with that other mom who's, who's also feeling like she's drowning. And you can be like, hey, honey, Jesus is with you always to the end of the age. In the midst of your work, you're like, I'm doing two jobs at my work. In fact, I think I'm doing three jobs at my work. How in the world am I supposed to make disciples as you go? You can share the truth. You can labor together. You can encourage one another. We're in this together, and this is going to look different in different seasons, but it looks like something. What is Christ calling you to? But let's be reminded of what Christ has done. Let's be reminded of who's asking us to do this, who's calling us to do this, who's commanded that we do this. It's the one who has all authority. So the command is to go, but in our going, we must be reminded of what Christ has done. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. We're going to be reminded by taking communion, but we're not going to take communion first. We're going to sing to direct our hearts to Christ, because before we go, we need to remember who Jesus is and what he has done, and we need to worship. Now for you, worshiping might be just sitting in your seat and listening to the words, these, these solid words that are, are, have gospel truth in them. We're going to direct our gaze to Christ. And after we sing, we are going to take communion together to be reminded again what Christ has done. But Jesus wants to meet you right where you're at. So maybe as as the worship team sings, maybe you need to stay seated where you're at. Maybe your response is to stand. Maybe the response is to kneel. You don't need to look around. It's just between you and the Lord. So let's, let's respond in worship as the disciples did, even if you're in the place where you're doubting. He still calls you to come and to worship him. What Jesus has done for us. Thank you.